Hi, welcome to the Employee of the Month show. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. And on this episode, I'm so excited to bring to you Kathleen Hanna, who is a rock star, the lead singer of the Julie Ruin, and frankly, one of the most revolutionary women who helped infuse third wave feminism into my life and so many others through their their strength, bravery, and wit and intelligence. She was pivotal, some might say instrumental, forming the Riot Girl movement, which paved the way for third wave feminism and just shed light on sexual violence in a way that had never, ever been done before. In addition to having Kathleen Hanna on, Maria Dizia, the Tony nominated actor. And I was pausing for a second because actually Maria is in an upcoming film um, playing the wife of Kathleen Hanna's husband, who in real life is the BC boy Ad Rock. So I thought it was a completely random and arbitrary, but funny to see how all of these guests' lives overlap when they're not on the Employee of the Month show. Maria can be seen in Orange is the New Black currently, and she must be seen live on stage. She's just a tremendous presence in theater, and as a non-theater goer, she makes me want to come back for more, so I feel like that's as high an endorsement as I can possibly give, because it's a lot to um, take up the stage with such presence, and she does every time so gracefully. I also had on Piper Kerman, who is the author of Orange is the New Black. It is her very first memoir, and I hope the last memoir, at least, about being um, part of an international drug cartel and what it was like to be in a women's prison. I don't know any other books on the subject of life in a woman's prison, and was really grateful to read hers and hear about her experience. Talk about a dream job uh, consulting on the Netflix series, Orange is the New Black, which was inspired by her story and created by Genji Kohan, who also created Weeds. And last but not least, very, very, very excited that John Ronson was on the show. He's um, bloody brilliant. He has a new movie coming out at Sundance. You should know him or may know him or will know him after this from some of his books, including Men Who Stare at Goats and The Psychopath Test. He also used to write for The Guardian and he contributes frequently to This American Life and is just not only a prolific writer, but one who looks for the emotional depth that I think is so often lacking in um, investigative journalism. I'm, I don't know, at some point I, I get so used to their ego um, that they seem to lose their heart, but that may also be my own ego. I'm just projecting. They're, okay, once you read The Psychopath Test, I promise you won't have to deal with any of this. But before you read it, listen to our interview. Enjoy the show. It was taped live at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Enjoy very, very, very much. That's an atrociously beautiful sweater, Katie. Thank you very much. I, um, I'm going to use a different mic. Hi! Hi! It's still annoying. Either mic, it doesn't matter. It's still my voice. That's what happens. That Christmas this, ornament there on the right looks like a hamburger. It definitely looks like a hamburger. Yeah. I, I, I got this because I crashed the... Pretty big deal. I crashed the NPR... Christmas party, so much coke, you guys. <laughs> Terry Gross, I was like, calm it down, you know? And she's like, I just, all I wanna do is go out and play a mandolin or something. <laughs> she was just going crazy, Terry Gross. Um, but we just, we rocked out these sweaters together, she and I, and then she just went home with Louis C.K. and spooned him all night. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what happens. You guys, please give a hand to Shockwave, Eric Biondo, and Gray McBurry. They are the new guys. I want to thank all of you guys 
for coming out. So thrilled. Um, our first guest is a Tony-nominated actress who has appeared in Uncle Vanya, In the Next Room, which is also known as the Vibrator play, Eurydice's, she's a regular on Orange is the New Black, she's also been in Louie and The Good Wife and so many other things, and I'm just so thrilled to have on the incredibly brilliant, talented actor, Ms. Maria Dizio. <laughs> Quite an entrance, Maria. <laughs> I feel like I slinked in. That didn't feel really like an entrance, but that wasn't a staged entrance. <laughs> no. Do you want it to was... show us what a staged entrance would look like? Um, no, I think we all know. Okay, good. I think it's okay. It was really hard not to come through the curtain, though, because you emphasize so much how much we needed to come through the door. The door, and so it was the really door. hard. <laughs> I'm like that too. Whenever someone sets rules, it doesn't matter. Even if it's like, don't jump into the subway track. Yeah. I'm like, let's go. Um, I was just talking about that with my husband. And you know, if you do fall in the subway track, I think this is something that's really important. You are supposed to run forward. Everyone knows that. You're not supposed to lie down or try to get off the side. You're supposed to run forward because the subway is coming to a stop. And so they'll see you. That is incredibly helpful. I'm just curious. How do I just you know don't feel like people talk about forward. that Forward the, yeah. when the subway is coming. The direction the subway is coming, and oh, you oh, should it, also it, run it. in that direction. Yes. And scream or no screaming? No screaming. Okay. All right, just no, run. You, know, you spend all of your calories running, I think. Well, this is a perfect segue for my first question. <laughs> um, I tried to look, by the way, and see what the questions were, and I didn't understand your notes. So. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I didn't. They can be there, because I, I don't get them. <laughs> The audience might agree with you already. They didn't even have to look, and they're like, yeah, I don't get it either. Um, so in, in, all, in genuine seriousness, since you started out, you've gotten duly deserved rave reviews in the New York Times all the way through. And I was curious, does that have an impact on your career? Does it help you? You know, Even when you were in, in just starting out in smaller plays. Oh, that's so nice. I, I don't think that's totally true. I mean, I think that um, no, I is. was I, mercifully I let out, um, left out of a review very early on. Out of a um, negative review. Yes. Yeah, I and I that. felt very mercifully unmentioned um, in that review. And I think that I've dodged bullets in that way. Um, but, you know, it actually it doesn't impact your career, which is the thing that's so wonderful about it, really. What about the New Yorker illustration? Getting a New Yorker illustration seemed pretty cool to me. Yeah, that was cool. And <laughs> now, but what's not cool is um, buying it and having it in your apartment, which is what I did. <laughs> Why isn't that, and that cool? It's just not. And now that I look at it, I, every time I put it in my kitchen because I just felt like that was less, I don't know. It seemed like the kitchen was more informal and it was less like I'm, I'm okay in the world because I have this. It seemed like less of a validating thing. But now every time I look at it, it's just like, ugh, is what it says to me when it looks back at me. I like that you keep your New Yorkers <laughs> in the kitchen. I keep mine in the bathroom. Right. That way if someone goes in there, they think I'm really intelligent. And yeah, I have to say, I actually admire people who have magazines in the bathroom because I totally read magazines in the bathroom, but I'm afraid to admit that I do that. And I'm always impressed when I go in someone's bathroom and they have it. I'm like, that's a real, they're so brave. <laughs> to well, just I share that with everyone. This actually <laughs> is a good segue to my next question. I did okay. want to ask about what was the most physically taxing because I think you've done, you do these incredibly complex roles. And I, I understand on Eurydice's, you had sort of like 50 gallons of heated water. Mm -hmm. coming on to you. So I wanted to find out, yeah. was that more taxing than, say, like, you know, in the in the next room, you're having to orgasm every night as if it's the first time? Mm -hmm. um, is that more taxing than on Louie, where you're getting spanked and, and wishing it was your daddy who was spanking you? Right. Um, My dad actually saw that episode. What's that like? So, like... <laughs> it's ridiculous. My dad has had to experience so many things. He had to go to the... Um, the vibrating. He saw that show seven times. Um, and let's because he's very proud and he thought hey, we might not be coming this way again. Meaning the Broadway thing. <laughs> hey yo. I didn't mean it like that. I'm not, yeah. Pun intended. Right. Yeah. Um, I not, it's not that I'm fast, it's that I'm slow, so I didn't realize I was saying that. But um, with, with coming or with, with. Yeah, with like pun. I think puns oh, happen puns. because I'm actually. Yeah, at a deficit. Okay. <laughs> not because I'm thinking really quickly. But not with orgasming. Um, no, yeah, but my, my father has had... 
<laughs> yeah, my father's had to see so many things. He had to see all the orgasms. And um, he actually is really sweet about it because he really impressed me once because he had to see another play where I was getting pretend... Are we allowed to use curse words? Pretend having sex with from behind? (laughs) What would you call that in English? (laughs) Everyone knows what that means. Um, (laughs) And... um, and then also had to give a pretend blowjob. Oh, what was that? I missed that one. For, yeah, I, a lot of people did. It was a little under the radar, that one. What was that one for? Um, it was for a play called The Hallway Trilogy. Oh, no, 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 sorry. I oh, did you, see that. I'm sorry that did. I forgot that part. Yeah. You had two parts How in that. How could you forget that part? I apologize. Because that was a three-part play that right. happened over lots of days. That was did you Adam see Rappel. that part and yes. you literally forgot about it? You know it? what? I, I do that with ex-boyfriends, too. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, that's very that's very encouraging. But my my um, my dad was so great because I was like, I, I really don't know if you want to come see this, and because I don't have that many lines, and then all of a sudden this happens, and my dad was like, Well, you're pretending to do it, right? And I said, Yeah. He's like, You're not actually doing it, and I was like, No, I'm not. And then he was he was just like very cool, and he was like, Well, I could watch you pretend to do anything. So I was Aww. like, I was I was very impressed. And he made me realize that, um, you know, it's the same thing. Like, if you get cocky because you do a lot of stage combat and then you feel like you could actually beat someone up, and that's just not true. <laughs> and so he just made me realize that what I was doing was pretty lame. I remember I, I, I used the word suck. Our softball team had lost, and I go, we suck in second grade. And my dad mm-hmm. was like, don't ever use that language in this house. Oh, and I didn't even know what that was like in relation to, and then of course I looked it up, and it's right. like Maria Dizia, like right <laughs> under the definition of right. um, what it means. No, in in all seriousness, um, mm-hmm. is it hard to have intimacy on stage? No, no. I think it's actually um, I think it's actually easier. I think it's harder to pretend that you don't care, and harder to pretend. I mean, seriously, I, I think it's harder to actually um, have um, have an affect of being disaffected or uninterested because I think that for most people, performing is such, um, it, there's so much anxiety and it's so aerobic that it actually feels really good to um, like run out on stage and hug someone or kiss someone or do something that's even, and I feel like it also helps to do something that is... Um, like that feels taboo because then you just like break through it. And I think it's actually a lot harder to play parts of someone who has like an icy reserve, like in a Harold Pinter play or something like that. I think that actually takes a lot more strength. And, and can you cry on cue? Um, no, I can't. I can fake cry on cue. You can't. Oh, what does that look like? <laughs> How do we cue? Oh. <laughs> It looks like that. And that sometimes that's fine. <laughs> and that's all a part requires. Really? Okay, yeah. do that again. No. <laughs> I felt like I missed it. I talked over it. It's okay. It was, I feel like it was more of a visual thing. Okay. For the podcast audience. Like there are all these people yeah, behind me. Yeah, all these people. Did you guys get to see her cry? No. They're going to go home unfulfilled <laughs> in some way. So awful. Yeah. We're sold on this um, side. Um, what is the difference between auditioning and acting in a role? I've heard a lot of... Um, or say, you know, I just don't audition well? Oh, I think, well, because you, um, uh, auditioning really is more, feels more in the moment like pretending. Because a lot of times you're uh, reading with someone who doesn't want to make eye contact with you um, because they don't want to interrupt what it is that you're doing. And so you more, like in an audition, it's more like you've, you have a relationship with your, like the best version of an audition is that you have a relationship with yourself that you're Mm -hmm. willing to let go and not predetermined. And the worst version of an audition is that you've planned out this thing at home and you're going to come in and do it. Um, so it's harder. You know, it's, you don't have like all those wonderful things of going in and letting go and just responding to someone else or allowing things to affect you. It's much harder to do in an audition because you're most of the time not working with an actor. So do you just imagine you're talking to a friend or something like that when you do it or you don't need imaginary friends? Um, I have I have a lot of imaginary <laughs> Mostly what I have is imaginary We do. We have so much in common. Yeah, we do. <laughs> um, uh, 
I've tried. I think it's really hard. I think you just have to be talking to the person that you're talking to. I think it's really hard to pretend that you're talking to something else. Like with things like flash and come in, that's like really great and like a beautiful gift and yeah. wonderful. But I think to be actively trying to pretend that someone is something else, that's mostly what your audition will be about. Okay. I think. Well, I, I could wanna, be totally wrong. I want to. No, this is. I don't ever get auditions, so it's this is it's all is all helpful and informative or informative and not necessarily helpful just because I it won't ever be an issue for me. But it is very informative. <laughs> okay. Um, I wanted to show a um, clip from the show that you are in currently, Orange Is the New Black. Mm -hmm. um, for a few people who haven't seen it, um, so is that okay? Can we try that? Let's see what happens. I think magic's gonna this happen. This is awful. Guys. It's so traditional. And I'm not a traditional person. Although I guess maybe I am, since I'm getting married and I don't even believe in marriage. What am I doing? Am I drunk? You look beautiful. This is awesome. Is it bad to admit I'm even feeling a little jealous? No, I love being the target of envy. That means I'm winning. We're coming! I can't even begin to imagine forever with somebody. Well, surprise, surprise, considering the kind of girls you date. The kind of girls that I date? Hot girls who make you crazy. I like hot girls. And I like hot boys. I like hot people. What can I say? I'm shallow. That's not what I mean. You keep looking for people you have that chemical thing with, but that's not the whole package. Mm. You have to find someone you can spend two weeks with in a cramped timeshare in Montauk in the rain and not want to kill. He made jigsaw puzzles fun and competitive. That sounds truly boring. When I put my cold feet on him, he's always warm and only sometimes annoyed. But I want both. I want warm, but I also want hot. I want fireworks. I want somebody I can have adventures with. Oh. Look, adventure is just hardship with an inflated sense of self. Eventually, you want someone you can curl up with. Someone who knows when it's time to order Chinese. And that's Pete? Yeah, that's Pete. Plus, he's never shown any interest in fucking me in the ass, for which I'm grateful. Well, you never know. He may just be saving that hole for marriage. So I guess that's what they call it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what they call it. So Maria, if you weren't, if I you weren't, it was such a long clip. That was like half the show. If you were not going to be an, an actor, um, yeah. you you are going to do something crafty. You had told me that you would be a good knitter. Yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, you had asked me what I would do, and I feel like I'm just a very crafty person. Like I would do, I don't know, I would make things and sell them. I think or teach kindergarten. Um, well, I was going to ask. I think <laughs> it's a. a uh, we don't have enough time for you to teach kindergarten, but I was going to ask that during the show, Watch while I me. do the, the interviews, <laughs> um, if you would if you would um, knit something for us, and um, you're welcome to sit sit there and, and yeah, um, and um, I know I was thinking like, I think that might be too dark. I'm going to see if okay. I can sit over there, and I'm going to try to knit something for Katie and have it for her by the end of the show. We'll, well see. I want to say thank you so much for coming on. I, I've seen you from the very beginning. You were always so talented and I know that there you are... You have. You've been so supportive. It's I, very nice. It's really thrilling and I know there are tons of talented actors in the audience and I know there are tons of talented actors in the world but it it's is a true. joy to know one and to see them get the recognition they deserve and get the stage time they deserve. Orange is the New Black will be premiering in the summer. Well, I mean, the second season will be... Shown in the summer. And it so is coming out this summer. See that, yeah. Okay, awesome. And so then this winter, I guess you'll have a pilot season where you'll be auditioning for things like that. Yeah, so people can come and, and come hang to your out. auditions. Oh my god, I would love it. <laughs> I really would. Just someone to hang out with me in the room. And you know what? You can just have dinner with friends like me. Yes, that sounds good instead. So we'll do that every night. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Maria Dizia, for being Thank such you. a wonderful contribution to the show. <laughs> thrilled. Our next guest, her very first book was a memoir about her um, time in jail. So without further ado, let's welcome Ms. Piper Kerman, who is the author of the memoir, Orange is the New Black. to have you on. Um, so you were a child model? 
Uh, no, child actress. Child actress. I yes. apologize. What did you do as a, as a child actor? Um, a lot of theater and one Fenway Frank ad. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fenway Frank's tasty. <laughs> now, my mom went to Smith, and she's obsessed with uh, Jane Austen and, and goes to Jane Austen conferences every year. And, and you went to Smith, and you were part of an international drug cartel. What are the benefits... <laughs> What are the benefits of an all-girls education? <laughs> you know, a sense of, you know, uh, how other women's lives sort of overlap with yours and why they're important and, you know, costumes and crazy outfits and, you know, uh, yeah, there's a lot of them. One of the other things, um, when I was reading your book, I was, I, I feel like being in jail, it like immediately gives someone street cred and then reading about your first fight, it was over spinach versus iceberg lettuce? Yep. Yeah. Lettuce. Salad. Yeah. Roughage is really important. Actually, if you were in prison, you would fight for the spinach too. I promise you. Because there were so f- a few vegetables. So few vegetables. And yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're happy, happy as a clam to be you know, munching away. And when someone comes and interferes with your spinach, you're going to throw down. I love it. I have this image of you like in a homeless shelter being like, so what's in the broth? (laughs) Um, One of the wonderful things about Orange is the New Black is um, how many diverse people it it shows in the program. And Genji Cohen, who's the creator of the show, which was adapted from your beautiful book, um, said that there was no way she could get a a show on the air that was going to show people of color without having a white narrator there. And I was curious for you because this is your personal story being adapted, Mm -hmm. is the show what you envisioned? The nice thing about Genji is that when I first met with her, which was right after the book came out, um, she'd read the book and she was interested in it, and um, she didn't pitch me a vision. She just asked millions and millions of questions. And that was really encouraging because it meant that she didn't have this completely preconceived vision for what she would do, that it was something that she would explore. Um, And one of the creative choices that she made, she made tons of creative choices, but one of them was blowing open this huge ensemble cast, which is fantastic. I mean, it's one of the reasons that people who wanted to adapt it into a TV series, that was of far more interest to me than people who were interested in a feature film because... The reason to care about the story that I tell in my book is because it relates to millions and millions of other people in this country, not because my own individual story is so interesting. Well, I think in your book you do a really nice job of showing both, showing your individual story, also noting that your individual story is not the norm. Not everyone goes to prison and then gets a major series on Netflix <laughs> from it. Um, and you, you are very humble and have a lot of consideration for the different stories in addition to yours. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to ask, so what, what do you, what's a consultant? Every, uh, you're a consultant on the show? What does that mean? <laughs> I am a consultant on the show. What that means is that Genji and the entire writer's room, which is about eight people, you know, have you know, carte blanche to fire questions at me at basically any hour of the day or night. Random, strange, you know, some big macro, like, life-shaking questions, and then occasionally some really granule questions about, like, what exactly would the structure of that hallway be like? You know, because they're staging something really crazy in that hallway. So I answer those questions, and then I read all the scripts, and I send them my thoughts on those scripts, which are theirs to take and le- or leave. This sounds like a big job. Um, I, I'm happy to do it. <laughs> sounds really, really um, fun. Is it, is it a realistic portrait to you of what prison is when people watch the show? It's really interesting. Somebody was talking to me today who was also in prison, and they said, you can't make the shit up that happens. And I thought of that. I thought that many, many times while I was incarcerated. Really crazy things happen behind prison walls. And so some of the more out there things that are in the show, I mean, there are crazy things that take place in the show, which are pure fiction from the mind of Genji Cohan. And then there are crazy things that happen in the show. And people are like, that's impossible that you would ever be in the same prison with your ex-lover who ratted you out. And I'm like, yeah, I shared a cell with her for six weeks. So, you know, yeah. you know, some of the things that people are like, yeah, that's totally unrealistic. I'm like, yeah. So, is the yoga part realistic? Like having classes and stuff like that? Well, classes that are led by other prisoners. I mean, it's not like that's uh, institutionally sanctioned, usually. 
I mean, it's, I mean, there are some really remarkable yoga programs actually in many prisons, but not in the prisons that I was in. It was yoga. Janet is the real woman, though that's not her real name. Um, just on her own steam, sort of banding together this little crew of misfits to try to do some yoga. <laughs> um, but I think that what Genji's team has really been committed to is trying to create Litchfield as a world that is realistic. I think so, a lot of people feel that way just about Litchfield, Connecticut, pro and proper, <laughs> not even the jail. Um, I, you learned so many things in prison, and, and one of them, in addition to electricity, was how to use a maxi pad to do a lot of things. So I brought some. Oh, thanks. Um, now, I brought two kinds. Um, there is the organic, recyclable, uh, oh, sorry, I apologize, reusable cotton pads. Um, I didn't know if you want to use them, but there's nothing more embarrassing than returning reusable <laughs> cotton pads, I can imagine. Um, but I am up to that task. Um, but if you'd like to either use these or the uh, always, these are, are, they securely fit, which is great. Uh -huh. um, I wanted to see what, what you could do, and I was like, gosh, where are we going to find something dusty enough? And you were like, uh, anywhere in this room. <laughs> Pretty much. So, so um, should we tear these open? Uh, yeah, I would say those would be the sentimental favorite. The, really? The, the recyclable yeah. cotton pads for women are not a sentimental favorite for I, you? I think, frankly, in prison, we could find much better uses for those. Okay. All right. Well, you can take those home. You're welcome. They're from the Park Slope Co-op if you want to join. <laughs> um, look at it as a little entree gift. Thank you. Anyone huh. else need any? Are you guys all set? Anyone want? Just as a take-home stocking stuffer. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Sorry. Sorry. I got. I. Nice. I throw like a man. So we don't have any water or soap, right? Uh, water or soap? Does anyone have water? Soap? Purell? No, we've learned that Purell is actually quite dangerous. Uh, Does anyone else read that so article in the New York Times? No one else's mom forwarded that. <laughs> This is nice. This is actually much fancier than the standard issue, oh, you know, good. in... I mean, one of the reasons you use the maxi pads in prison is because it's one of the only things that the institution actually gives out. So, weirdly, you know, no toothpaste, no shampoo, but they hand out maxi pads in Thank you abundance. so much, sir. What's your name? Thank you. Tony, you guys give Tony a round of applause. Yeah. Thank you for coming to the rescue. So, this is a nice fancy one with wings. Wings. Yes. Nice. Half the, half the, all the guys are like, what are the wings for? <laughs> I was waiting for people to be like, I have an iPad too uh -huh. with wings. Yeah, anyway. So um, if I weren't a little nervous about this chair, I would probably get up and clean the ductwork because that's actually what I would do with the maxi pads often. So, mm -hmm. you know, you, we would have inspection. Inspection would take place at minimum once a week, but sometimes they'd just be like, inspection! <laughs> um... <laughs> So at least once a week, every Sunday night, you know, every woman in the place would be, in the joint would be cleaning, and I was top bunk, so it was my gig to clean all this kind of stuff, all this, all this weird duck worked, just like what's over our head with the maxi pads. So, um... But I'm a little this, scared this to climb music up on this stand chair. Here. I this, think the music stand looks pretty dirty. This music has like right, some we, don't, we don't have a lot of... Um, this weird gunk on it. That liability. We have a small budget, macro budget. Just in case you fall. Here. But health insurance yeah, but in January. I, anyone have it? Me neither. Okay, good. Honestly, don't know what that is. Might have to scrub hard. It's like hard candy or something. All right? There you go. Oh. Woo! It's, you guys, I think we should give her a hand because this is fucking awesome. It's like a sham wow commercial. It's definitely a sham wow. You guys, yeah, Piper, because you, you were so helpful. Oh, my God. Great. <laughs> I should be Great. handing out more Thank of you. these. Piper, before you leave, I'm going to give you something that's so exciting to be out of prison. Now you can have these as well, Swiffers. Um, thank you for your wonderful book. I recommend that everyone, if you have not gotten a chance to read Orange is the New Black, please do. It's a fantastic, fantastic book, and I am so excited, and I hope that it gives you some validation to know that you are helping other people um, share their stories and, and also show the pitfalls of a non-rehabilitative system, but um, hopefully get people involved in finding ways to make it more rehabilitative. Thanks, Katie. Thank you, Piper Carmen. I think it's time to bring
bring in our, our next guest. Um, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about him. Um, he is a frequent contributor to This American Life, and he wrote for a long time for The Guardian, and his, has these phenomenal books um, that all get turned into films, so you should see them at some point if you haven't. Um, Lost at Sea is one of his most recent ones, but he's also so famous for having written The Psychopath Test, and um, Them, and Men Who Stare at Goats. So I would like to bring out... Oh, he's also our, um, he's, he's a foreigner. I'm so excited. He's British. But don't worry, he's Jewish, just to like balance it all out. <laughs> um, please welcome Mr. John Ronson. psychopath test I just was curious have you ever had a boss who was a psychopath yes I have but that's not why I wrote the book and, and also the book's a cautionary tale to not start diagnosing people willy-nilly as psychopaths as as um, much fun as that is um, and why is that in addition to just safety reasons uh, I mean the um, because it's it's sort of corrosive it's morally corrosive to start um, to start labeling people by their maddest edges, I think is you know it's what society does all the time. It's what you know. It's what television is based on. It's you know television is basically troubled people being booed. And um, but you also talk about as a journalist that that's something that even in the documentary films that you did and and yeah. in the books that one of the I found the most interesting parts of your book was talking about how you as a journalist will um, you know. Yeah put in the most scintillating details yeah. and not necessarily um, the ones that are more yeah, yeah, yeah. balanced and uh, even keeled. So yeah. you'll show people just in their harshest edges. It's not just television that does that. Yeah, I think so. I think we, we it's what my friend Adam Curtis, the documentary maker, said to me. We, we go around the world with our notepads in our hands and we wait for the gems and the gems are always the outermost aspects of that person's personality, the things that would be defined in the DSM as mental disorders. And then we stitch together the gems like weird tapestry makers. And we all know that what we do is odd and none of us talk about it. Um, so that's really, so that's why I'm always reluctant. You know, you can imagine over the last few years, I've, I've been asked so many times whether, you know, Lance Armstrong's a psychopath or, you know, whoever. And, and the reason why I always kind of resist doing it is, is that I, I think it's, you know, it kind of brings all of society down when we start um, diagnosing people by by their furthest edges. Um, since since that is how you also made a career for yourself, it's just. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem. Because people like it, you know. I, I um, um, <laughs> that wasn't the problem I, I was looking at. It was more no, like you're talking about other people doing it, but it is also something that yeah. you have made a career. Yeah, for and, doing. and people love it. And in fact, when I was on, I was on a sort of morality <laughs> thing about this, and, and I made a documentary for British Television about this this course that teaches agnostics to become born again Christians called the Alpha Course. And I was so like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to sort of you know portray these people you know as caricatures. I'm going to portray them as nice, lovely human beings. That. Everybody hated the documentary and Channel 4, you know, because it was so boring and, and Channel 4 never commissioned another film of, uh, out of me. So, so, yeah, that's the downside. Well, and so how do, you, how do you balance those things? I mean, you stopped doing as many documentary films and started focusing on books more, mm -hmm. it seems like. Is that... Yeah. I mean, I think you've got to leave everybody. I think you have to... Whoever you're interviewing, you've got to leave them knowing that their dignity is intact, even if they're terrible people. So let's just uh, check in. How's your dignity feeling right now? Right. <laughs> just because I'm interviewing No, you. I think you're, I think this is fine. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, but it's, it's hard, right? Because you don't want to be, like, po-faced. You don't want to be boring. But at the same time, you don't want to contribute, you know, to a society that, that's all about, you know, ridiculing. So, so it's, yeah, it's a hard... It's a hard thing to, you have to kind of, every day you have to sort of try and get that balance right. And I imagine there's even more pressure today for journalists because the industry is hurting so much to stand out and for people to say, we need John Ronson to cover this story and therefore to have some edge to it. Do you feel pressured to, um, to, be, to be looked for, to have people be like, we need John Ronson on this story? <laughs> Uh, 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 no, no. <laughs> if you um, no, I Seems mean, like if you you know, there's a, there's 
I mean, there's good stories out there. But I'm sorry, that's terrible. I'm sorry, I'm nothing. What are you apologizing for? Be- I, because I didn't quite understand the question. And, oh, and I, I guess my question was if, if you felt a, a need as a journalist to stand out, to make sure that your byline oh, was, that you got, you know, that you were popular, that your books were selling, that your uh, movies were in demand so that you could get hired f- to do more work. I guess, but I've been doing it. I mean, I'm, I've I'm been doing it for like 25 years now. So, like so the answer I wasn't, is no, I do not feel Well, if pressure. I wasn't standing out... <laughs> But now I'd be kind of fucked because I've been doing it so long. <laughs> it's like you can't, you know, hang around this long and, you know, not quit if you're not standing out a bit. So I'm sort of all right. I mean, luckily, I mean, you know, the psychopath test did well and, and uh, you know, and so on. Um, and I wanted to add, well, all of them have done well. The Men Who Stare, Men at, Who Stare Goats at Goats is a film and you have a, a new film coming out in, in January. Uh-huh. I've written a film um, called Frank uh, about a man who wears a big fake head that he never takes off. And uh, it's uh, starring Michael Fassbender and, and with underneath the big fake head that he never takes and off. And it's premiering at Sundance. It's premiering at Sundance in January. Um, it's funny going on the Michael Fassbender fan sites because they're all going like, well, he never takes off the big fake head. It's like <laughs> when they release stills, like they released a still from like twelve years a ste- twelve years a slave with Michael Fassbender looking kind of chiselled and beautiful, and all the people on the fan sites were going, "Oh my god!" You know, like discussing it. And then they released a still from Frank, and it's basically a stupid cartoon face. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure what's more disturbing: you going onto all of these fan sites, uh, <laughs> or the fact that twelve years of a slave people are talking about how cute he is. That's what they. Got I think they hadn't seen the film. This then. breakthrough film. Yeah. No, I love going America. on the Fassbender fan sites. You like going on those sites? Yeah, I used to go on the George Clooney fan sites too when, when, they, when they filmed the Minnesota Goats. Because they started filming it that the day they started filming. I wonder whether Piper actually, you know, sort of spends all her time on the set. Cause on the fan sites? Well, on the set, because basically I was at home in London and the day they started filming the Minnesota Goats, I was looking at these kind of paparazzi pictures of George Clooney sitting in the hotel in Puerto Rico and like playing basketball with his friends. And I thought that they are having unimaginable fun and I'm sitting here like a tiny man in my in my and I created this and 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 I'm in I'm in this tiny tiny office and over there in Port so I found up Peter Strawn the screenwriter and I said I'm I I feel almost depressed and I and I think the only way to get myself out of this funk is for us to go to Puerto Rico so we phoned up the um, film producer and said can we come and he said well if you pay for your flight uh, we'll put you up in the hotel so I went there and I'm expecting I, I don't know I expect like, yeah, everyone like dancing or you know I, I, everyone was kind of miserable it was like you know they would just been working like 16 hour days on the set and they were all kind of you know it was, it was it was overly humid and everyone was kind of bored and, and it really kind of made me feel I thought my, my life is not necessarily massively worse than George Clooney's life um and, it was the greatest feeling ever, and then I and then I met him again at the premiere, and you know you know you see him like on the red carpet, like in Venice on the Lido and the boats and everything. To get to the red carpet and the Lido and the boats, he has to spend ages in the in the urine-filled back alley, where which is just full of like. Wait, I'm sorry. How did you get there? I don't think you um, guys at all have to spend. I, I found this really sorry. Then. I found this really interesting. The fact that you know that that for for like five minutes on the red carpet, there's like 45 minutes in the back alley. You know, yeah. Okay. <laughs> sorry, I should have stopped just before that. It's like the green room. I like that he had a moment in his life where he was in a back alley and not on a red carpet. So if it's 45 I was in a back alley with George Clooney. Congratulations. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I do want to show... I look forward to being in a back alley with Michael Fassbender (laughs) in January. It is. It's. It's. It's sweet to see how starstruck um, you get as a serious journalist. Um, you guys, please give a warm, warm hand to Mr. John Ronson. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. to come back.
back. I'm very excited for our fourth guest. How are you guys doing? I know we're running a little bit over. Is everyone okay? Sweet. Um, I am thrilled for our next guest. Um, she is a rock star, uh, literally, and I'm using the word literally correctly. Um, she is most famous for being in Bikini Gill and Litigue and now the Julie Ruin. And she is also equally famous for um, being pivotal in starting the Riot Girl movement, which fueled third wave feminism, in addition to being a fucking amazing rock star, which you can see in the punk singer. You must go see it. It's in theaters now. Um, you also have to go check out her band, The Julie Ruin, and you're gonna wanna do all these things once you meet her. So please welcome Miss Kathleen Hanna. for coming. I love your your sweater. It's my Christmas holiday sweater. It's your Christmas holiday sweater. It looks great. K for Kwanzaa. Yes. Did you see I kicked down the door? Because girls kick ass. Because girls kick ass, which I love. Not really. Um, they don't? <laughs> no, it's just like this whole thing of like, girls rule, girls kick ass, but then you look at the real world and you're like, really? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I don't... I, well, Do gonna, they? Do they kick... Well, I think the individual girls kick ass. I would yeah, say but that. you know what I mean? It's like this whole idea like, oh, equality, that already happened. Oh, that, that we've already gotten yeah. there. Well, I mean, clearly we've gotten there because I just found this Barbie doll um, that's an ultimate boyfriend that you can record. You have to record what he says to you. Let's see if it works. Kathleen, try recording. What? Wait, what am I supposed to say? What I want him to say to me? Yeah. Uh, oh, girl, I get you. Let's see if it works. Hold on. Here, try again. He's not very... He's not... He's, Wait, he's, can, oh, he did it! He did it! He did it. Oh, my God. It's like a... It's a, did it, you it's guys. It's fucked up. It. It's like gender bender. <laughs> like, because they have these on a, on a certain vocal effects when you're recording. They have an actual button that says gender bender. It's totally fucked up. It's totally binary. This is a binary product. This product... When I say this binary... This product... I hate those binary things. For five-year-old girls. Yeah, but I could hear him. He was like... What did he say again? Oh, I really get you, girl. Yeah, he really got you. You told him to say that. Yeah. Well, let's see how you feel about this virgin hair fertilizer. <laughs> Is this what you, you're gutting people presents? I love this. Yeah, I thought you, I thought you might enjoy these. Now, I'm going to keep the perfect boyfriend just in case. I'm sorry, those are hard to find. <laughs> but but um, the virgin hair fertilizer I thought was even more amazing. That's pretty good. I think that's very gender neutral, and I think that that might be great. Wait, are you saying I have dandruff? That's why I wear white anyway, so you can see that I had dandruff because we had a conversation about this earlier. (laughs) About Um, dandruff? Yeah. Remember? (laughs) No. We've never met each other. I'm sorry. I took. I drank some diet coke, so. Um, It'll do it. You know what? That's well. Terry Gross was doing so much coke at the NPR radio (laughs) Christmas party, so diet coke is like a much safer bet. I feel like. Um, One of your first bands was Amy Carter, and I assume that was after Amy Carter, Jimmy Carter's daughter, and then you're. Another band you had was Viva Knievel. Was that after uh, the Reagans? Was that a tribute inspired by that? Viva Knievel (laughs) was a movie about evil Knievel. But actually, my mom is here tonight. Yay. Where's your mom? um, She's over there. I made her sit in the back so that I wasn't nervous. um, (laughs) (laughs) You guys, let's give your mom a hand. I know. My mom's awesome. She's so fucking embarrassed right now. (laughs) No, she's not. Yay. By the way, can I tell a story about Amy Carter? Yes. Okay, so uh, my mom has worked at mental institutions since I was a kid, and it was really serendipitous that when I was a child, she worked at a children's mental institution. Then when I was an adolescent, she worked with adolescents at an adolescent. Then when I was an adult, she worked with adults, and I was like, what's going on with this? But... She worked, we lived in, in D.C., in Washington, D.C., and she Wait, worked... Wait, so did I. Maybe she worked at the mental institution That you were at. at. I might have met I'm you. I'm just kidding. Yeah, keep um, She <laughs> uh, worked at the mental institution that was right next to the super fancy, like, was it a boarding school or, like, just a ri- private school, right? Private school. And it was actually also right next to the exorcist stairs. You know the stairs? Oh, in Georgetown. Yeah, yeah. So she... Uh, my mom said that she could see Amy Carter sometimes from the window. And 
From she, the Exorcist stair? On the Exorcist stair? No, no, no. I just threw that in. It's okay. just a, a side <laughs> addition, Diet Coke addition. Um, but I... This is going to make you sound so fucked up, but I thought it was funny. Everything you've ever done is so fucked up, but it's so funny to me. So I was like, I would see Amy Carter. Like, I was the kid who saw Shirley Temple on TV, and I was like, I could do that. I could be her. And so I, would, I wanted to be the president's daughter because she was like the coolest person. And I was like, I, I could be Amy Carter. And my mom said, I saw her, and she's way prettier than you. <laughs> You did. I'm sorry. This is like the therapist couch. I don't. I shouldn't have done that. I oh. don't think your mom actually saw Amy Carter. <laughs> <laughs> Amy Carter is many things, but you, <laughs> you, ma'am, are no Amy Carter. That is that is true. But that's a good thing. She was a wonderful activist, though. As as are you. Yes. Both have that in common. Now, this is a good segue. Amy Carter got a lot of horrible backlash um, in the media, and as did you. I was wondering if anyone ever apologized for being factually incorrect, which they did all the time um, No one apologized for being factually incorrect, as they still don't. Um, but I did actually have a uh, girl come up to me and say... I was, you know, 17 years old, living in my parents' basement, listening to, like, crusty punk music... And I came to one of your shows and I walked up to you and I said, you're a sellout. And I was like on an indie label that my friend ran out of his apartment. You know what I mean? Like I lived in like a garage, like on a twin bed. So I was like, whoa, is this what selling out is? Like what, what is like being indie going to be like? Like, am I going to live like on this you know what I mean so I wish uh, we had more maxi pads to I know. Help you clean they're it. back there I'm planning on stealing them on my way okay, out good. but um, but yeah so she was like you know you're because we were getting media attention and stuff even though we didn't have a publicist or management or anything no you were getting it because you guys were really talented I know as someone who went to your shows yes yeah. oh you did you saw us play live yeah oh that's awesome thank you um, Even though I'm only 21, no, yeah, I went <laughs> I uh, to a bunch of your shows in DC. In oh, DC. that's awesome! Yeah, um, but I forget what I was talking about oh, or even where I am. So. You were talking about a, a woman coming to oh, yeah. apologize for um, calling you a sellout. Yeah, she was like, she just like came up to me and was like, "I wrote you this really super mean letter." Um, no, she came up to me at the show and called me a sellout, and then she wrote me the letter and said I was living in my parents' basement and they were supporting me, and then I walked up to you and said that you were a sellout. And she's like, and now I'm like out in the world, like trying to make art and make rent. And I realized that I was total jerk. You're not allowed to say curses on this, are you? Yeah, you can. I okay. don't know why that rule is instilled, Fuck. but that's okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like that there are being rules instilled. Um, feminism, first wave, second wave, third wave, fourth wave, if, if that's where we are now. Shockwave. Has always failed to fully include women of color, although Shockwave's been with, with women of color, so Shockwave, you don't count in this. Um, but in all seriousness, feminism has, has always struggled with that. But now I feel like there's another problem where I feel like feminism has become sort of like brand copy, where it's become like, lean in, you go, girl. If you really have cancer, you better be wearing pink. Um, I was wondering if, if that resonates with you at all. No, that's why I kicked the door in. That's exactly what I meant about like, girls rule, you guys. You know what I mean? Like... I'm jumping out of my Girls World airplane with my Slater Kinney t-shirt on and like, you know what I mean? I'm kicking yeah. ass and taking names. I'm badass. Like, I just feel like it, stuff becomes really slogany and empty and it's not even real and like the real joke is the ERA. Right. The, it that never real, passed. That real you know issue, I mean? yes. That real issues don't end up getting yeah. talked about at all and instead we're like focusing on like, yeah, pole dancing is totally a new feminist movement, guys, and you just got to get on board. Wait, can I say something about the um, about um, Piper's interview, which was yes. really great? Well, because I, I came out here without a talent, and then I started thinking about Wait. speaking of pole dancing. Yes. That I used to be a yes. dancer in D.C. At Royal Palace. At the Royal Palace, which is across the street from where Reagan was shot. Were you there at the time? I was not I'm the one kidding. who did it. I was not disguised <laughs> as John Hinckley. Is that who did it? I did, I did work at, at the Royal Palace, and there was a thing... Not at that strip bar, I think, but a different one earlier. Okay, mom, I was a stripper. I guess now you know that too. But the Royal Palace is a really nice establishment. <laughs> it's really fancy. It's like only Not diplomats are allowed. <laughs> like before the royal wedding, that was like where people were hanging out. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. It's royal. It was really royal. 
um, when the lights went up, like at night after well, five in the morning when people left and it was just like stuff crawling all over the floor. It was like, go with the, the black light. It was disgusting. But they had this thing where there's, there's mirrors everywhere and they had to keep them clean because people, women were like putting their butts on them and our hands on them and all this stuff. So they did this thing where whenever they would play the song Car Wash, you know, <laughs> Car Wash, talking about, oh no, I'm, that's, that's Bad Girls by Donna Summer. Car wash. I'm the one who didn't remember who shot Reagan, so don't worry. Car wash, yeah. That's it. Um, Anytime that that song came on, every single dancer had to stop what she was doing and run to the stages and clean the mirrors (laughs) while wearing a thong. And everybody was like, could it get worse than this? No. And now I have this total Pavlov's dog thing where I hear the opening to Car Wash, which incidentally has been sampled in a lot of hip-hop songs, I have found out. And you just start cleaning? I am like, where's the mirrors? And now I know I just need to get a maxi pad and just start like... Everyone's going to go home and use their maxi pads for good things. Now, all um, comedians want to be rock stars, and I think that rock stars sort of sometimes want to be comedians, and I understand that you are, are working on writing a TV show? Yes, um, I wrote a comedy show, and it's hopefully getting picked up by a network that is not allowed to be said, we um, and we're signing the deal in the next couple of days. Not NPR. I'm it's just not it NPR. Out there. Not that comedy network. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's, it's about, um, the, if anybody has seen the wonderful Bridget Everett. She's been on the show. She's been on Employee of the Month. Yeah, it's based on the characters that she has created on stage for herself, but it's called Bridget Drives the Bus, and she's a bus driver who wants to be a star. Fabulous. Yeah. Um, can we have you back on the show, Kathleen Hanna, for more? Sure. Okay, very, very cool. All right, well, thank you so, so much, Kathleen Hanna, for coming on. Thank you. <laughs> like 17 mics. Um, We are going to award all of our fantastic, fantastic guests for coming out tonight and encourage you guys. um, We do have to clear the theater pretty quickly, so I'm just going to ask, please go home and go to the Employee of the Month show website. Sign on for the mailing list. Can we have you back on the show, Kathleen Hanna, for more? Sure. Okay, very, very cool. All right, well, thank you so, so much, Kathleen Hanna, for coming on. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month show. Thanks to Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and thanks to all of you for listening. Please go to employeeofthemonthshow.com to find out ways you can get involved, you can donate, you can subscribe to more episodes, volunteer, nominate folks, or just stop by and say hello. People so rarely do that anymore. You're welcome to. I know we're all standing here awkwardly or sitting, depending on how <laughs> you're listening. Being like, what do you what do you mean stop by? It's a website. Like, you want me to just do a drive-by? Do a drive-by. 